This is Heather Meckes, Director of Discipleship at CRC, and this is our podcast. Thank you for joining us today. We hope this inspires you, encourages you, and allows you to see how God is moving in and around you. If you would like to check out more resources, go to coopersvillereform.com. Enjoy the message. Our teaching text for today is Hebrews 4, verses 14 through 16. And if you're following along in your blue Bible, it's on page 970. If you're able, would you please stand? Hebrews 4, verse 14 through 16. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, Let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Good morning, Coopersville Reformed. I'm, I'm happy to be up here this morning to, to deliver God's word to you. Um, we are starting a new sermon series today called Confidence. You can see that up there, where we look at the events that led up to the crucifixion, and we see how through these events we can grow in confidence as we approach God. From his betrayal and his abandonment, the false accusations that were hurled against him, and the punishment that he took, we'll clearly see that we have a Savior that we can confidently approach in faith. And the theme for this series, this confidence, is taken from a passage in Hebrews 4 that Rachel just read. And this morning I want to open that back up. So if you would, Please turn, open up your Bibles. If you've ever listened to me preach before, you know that I like to flip through Scripture. So in your pew Bibles, it's on page um, 970. In your personal Bibles, Hebrews is, is almost all the way through the, the Bible. Uh, and we're going to turn to Hebrews 4, verse 14 through, through 16. It says, therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who's been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he didn't sin. 
Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. And before you close your Bibles, hopefully you haven't already, if, if you've got like a bulletin, this is my bookmark, or, or a chunk of paper in your wallet, just stick that in there because we're going to come back to that. Um, so, yeah, do that. Well, a little over a week ago, I was presented with the, the opportunity, the challenge, I suppose, to, um, to preach this sermon, and I knew that this was the topic that we were going to talk about. Uh, I knew that we were going to talk about, about confidence. I knew that we were going to talk about betrayal. And originally, I was not slated to preach this sermon. This was supposed to be Bob Boom's sermon, and um, he had some commitments he had to be at. But he gave me his sermon outline, and so I had, I had all the answers right there, right? All the conclusions of where we were going to go to. And in fact, the introduction that I gave to you this morning outlining the sermon series, those weren't even my words. Those are Pastor John's words. Um, they were in an email outlining what, uh, what was going to be preached about. So I had all the right conclusions I just needed to get from point A to point B and do the legwork and understand the, the whys, right? Well, you all know, know the answers too. You know that I'm going to talk about confidence. Um, and there was a title slide that talks about betrayal. And, and if that were up there, you would know, you would know that I'm going to talk about betrayal. Um, and I think... And so that's like point A, right? If point B is confidence, point A is betrayal. And I think for many of us, that especially if we've grown up in the church, we've taken a lot of things and accepted them as conclusions without having to do the legwork to get there, um, without stopping to understand how we even came to those conclusions. At least, at least that's how I've, I've been been raised in the church. Um, and so as I was researching this and doing the legwork and understanding why, there were some questions that, that I had about this. Um, like, why did, why did Jesus need to be betrayed for us? And why can we approach God's throne of grace in confidence because of that? I never really asked those questions before, and so today I want to, I want to try to answer those questions. So, if, so let's go from point A to B, and like I said, if point B is confidence, that's where we're going to end up. That's our conclusion. Point A is betrayal. So that's, that's enough about, about the introduction. Let's get into the meat of the work, shall we? So to do that, I want to first take a look at betrayal. What do we know about betrayal? When I think about it, I think about selling out somebody close to me um, for my own personal gain. And usually selling out someone to, to like the enemy. And as I was meditating on betrayal throughout the week, um, one night Casey sits down on the couch, Casey, my wife, sits down on the couch with me and hands me her phone and she says, check this out. And it was a devotion uh, about, about betrayal. And it, it um, compared rejection, abandonment, 
and betrayal. They're all kind of similar, but it talked about them like in a relationship. For example, if I were to ask Casey to marry me and she says no, that would be an example of, of rejection. If Casey and I are together and she says, I don't want this anymore, and she leaves me, that would be abandonment. And if Casey and I are together and Casey leaves me for another man, that would be betrayal. You can see this progression where, where betrayal is like the worst of it. Maybe we were on, that, on the receiving end of betrayal before. Maybe, maybe we were even on the giving end of that betrayal before. But that was a good illustration to show like, how betrayal is like the worst of things. It's, it's, it's like this greater sin. And, and the Bible also hints that betrayal is like this, this greater sin. In the Psalms, there's a couple Psalms that speak directly about betrayal. And one of them is Psalm 55. And in there, it says this. It says, if an enemy were insulting me, I could endure it. If a foe were rising against me, I could hide. But, but it's you. It's a man like myself, my companion, my close friend. Like, this is so much worse than anything an enemy could give. And then in John 19, Jesus, when he's, he's before Pilate, he tells him this. He says, the one that handed me over to you has the greater sin. Almost like, like here's our sins, and as you progress, betrayal is one of the hardest ones, one of the, one of the, one of the worst ones, I'll say. It's kind of a bold statement, but I think that's true. Well, when we, when we think of betrayal in the Bible, who do we think of? We think of, of Judas, right? Uh, even if we haven't grown up in the church, we associate the name Judas with betrayal. And so I think that's a good starting point to look at in the Word uh, about, about betrayal. And, and we're going to look at those events that, that talk about Judas. And one of the questions while I had while I was researching this was, was why did Jesus need to be betrayed in the first place? Like, I know he had to be a sacrifice, and I know that he had to suffer, but why did, why did he have to be betrayed? It, and I don't think it was just like this random chain of events that happened because Jesus, a number of times, foretold that he was going to be betrayed. And he said that it would happen it needed to happen so that the scriptures would be fulfilled. You ever ask why? Not that you were questioning God's motives, but, but to just understand why, why did that have to happen? Well, I have a great resource at home, my wife Casey, and she says to me, she says, wasn't it because of the crowds that Jesus had to be betrayed? You know, the Pharisees, they wanted to arrest him, but they feared that the crowds would riot if they did that in front of them. They needed to get him alone. They needed a guy on the inside to get Jesus alone so they could arrest him. They needed someone like a Judas, right? Um, 
And that made good sense to me. I, I understood that. But I didn't, I didn't think that that was all of it. I think that there was more to that. So I wanted to keep digging. And so that's what I want to do here. Um, let's dig into the Word. Let's look at the events in the, in the Word um, that talk about when Judas betrayed Jesus. And to do that, I, wanna, I want you to open up your Bibles again and turn to Matthew 26. And what I'm going to do, I'm not going to read, there's a lot I want to cover because I'm going to get all the way to 27 and I'm not going to read word for word everything. I'm going to kind of highlight what's going on and, um, and point out some things. So it's all right if you don't look at me and you're looking at your Bibles. So turn to Matthew 26. And the first things that I see is that Casey was right. Um, my wife is often right. Um, is that they, the, the, the priests, uh, they did fear the, a riot among the people if they did that. But in verse 6 um, through, through, verse, through verse 13, there is, we find ourselves at, at Bethany where there is a woman that breaks this alabaster jar of perfume over Jesus' head. Many of us know this story. And she's doing this wonderful act of anointing Jesus. But in verse 8, it says this. It says, when the disciples saw this, they're talking about all the disciples, they were indignant. And they asked, why this waste? This perfume could have been sold at a high price and the money given to the poor. And, and the, there's a part in there where I didn't, I never really noticed that, but it's all the disciples saying that. And in verse 10, it says, aware of this, Jesus says to them, why are you bothering this woman? And he gives a word uh, of correction to them. I think it's interesting to note that it says aware of this. Like Jesus knew what they were thinking. Maybe they were talking amongst themselves this. But Jesus, he knows what they're thinking, and he gives this word of correction and so then in verse 14, it talks about what one of them did. It says, then one of the 12, one, of, one called Judas Iscariot, then he went to the chief priests and asked, what are you willing to give me if I deliver him over to you? And so they counted out for him 30 pieces of silver. From then on, Judas watched for an opportunity to hand him over. It seems like all the other disciples, they, um, they accepted that word of correction, but but one, but, but Judas. And at that time, he, um, he watched for an opportunity to betray Jesus. Let's kind of store that thought in your mind as well. Well, then we read a little bit farther about what's going on. You can see from the headlines in your Bible uh, that the next thing that's going to be talked about is the Last Supper. And in verse, and while they're there, in verse 23, um, Jesus says, the one that dipped his hand into the bowl will betray me. Oh, let me, let me go back a little bit. Let's go to uh, verse 21. It says, while they were eating, Jesus says, truly I tell you, one of you will betray me. So Jesus already knows what's going to happen. He says, one of you is going to betray me. And, um, and the disciples, one, and, one after one another, said to, the, to Jesus, surely you don't mean me, Lord. And in verse 25, Judas says that. He says, surely you don't mean me, Lord. 
It's like Jesus is giving an opportunity for Judas to come clean. He's given Judas an opportunity to turn to him. And Jesus says, well, you've said so. And, um, and they eat bread together. And it says in, in, uh, in John that after Judas ate the bread that Satan entered him. Well, what else can we learn about Judas in these events? Well, Jesus ends up going to the Garden of Gethsemane, and he's there with, with John and James and Peter. And while he's talking with them, um, in verse 47, it says, While he was still speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, arrived, and he came with a large crowd armed with swords and clubs, uh, sent from the chief priests and the elders and the people. And he's got centurions. He's got uh, a whole arage, uh, a whole a bunch of people with him. And he says to them, the one I kiss, arrest him. And he goes up to Jesus and he says, greetings, Rabbi. And he kisses him. And Jesus, Jesus, he says to him, do what you've came for, friend. It's like he's given Judas one more opportunity again He's giving him a word again to repent, to, to turn to him, right? And then the last thing that we know about Judas uh, is, in, is in chapter 27. And if you're in the Pew Bottles, it's in that right-hand corner on the bottom. And uh, this is the next day when, when Jesus is already handed over. And Judas in verse 3, who had betrayed him, saw that Jesus was condemned. He was seized with remorse. And he returned the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders. He says, I have committed, I have sinned, for I have betrayed innocent blood. And they replied, what's that to us? That's your responsibility. So Judas threw the money in the temple and he left. And then he went away and he hanged himself. And after that, I think he went to hell. Because the Bible says in, in John 17 that Judas was doomed to destruction. There were some things in there that I pointed out that I just want to say one more time to you to point out what did Judas do. You see, when, when Jesus was being anointed with oil... All the other disciples, along with Judas, were indignant about the offering. And Jesus offers a word to them all. But it was Judas who decided to go on his own path and turn to his own ways. In verse 14, it says that he went to the chief priest to arrange a bribe, right? Um, later on at the, at the, at the Last Supper, Jesus he offers that word of correction again, but it was Judas. What did he do? He turned to his own ways, to his own agenda, to his own sin, instead of listening to the Lord. And then in the garden, once again, he doesn't hear that word from the Lord or listen to the word of the Lord and turns to his own ways. And even in his death, really, even though he regretted what he did, he still turned to his own sin he tried to fix it on his own, even though he sought it with tears. Church, I'd like to just, just pause right here for a second 
and I want to look at ourselves. And, and most of us, if we think about the people that are in hell right now, probably think about Judas being there. Think about what he did, about how he betrayed Jesus. He committed this ultimate sin of betrayal that we talked about early on. But I'd like to propose to you something this morning. I'd like to propose not only do we have the potential to betray Jesus and commit this ultimate sin, but we do betray Jesus. You see, the, the potential part, that's, I think that's pretty easy to grasp. Even 1 Corinthians 10, it says that we're not tempted in ways that are not common to humanity. All the things that I'm tempted by, other people are tempted by, and I imagine betrayal is, is part of that. We all have that potential to do that. But have we ever betrayed Jesus? You know, at the Last Supper, the disciples, they all asked, is it I? I think that they asked that because they saw that the potential was there, that they could have done that. But have we ever turned our backs on Jesus to follow our own sinful desires? You know, it was, it was our sins that put him on the cross. That's what he was there for. Have we... Have we ever, like Judas, looked for an opportunity to sin? Have we ever, in a moment, chosen to side with the enemy and commit a sin, even if we hear the Lord's voice trying to correct us? Either, either I'm the only one in the company of Judas in that regards, or maybe there's more of us. Maybe we do have the, not only have the potential to betray, but maybe we do. Well, how did Judas end up in hell anyways? Was it because he was the betrayer? Because he did this greatest sin? Maybe, maybe that answer is where we're heading. Remember how we, we uh, stuck something in our Bible as a bookmark in Hebrews? That's where we're supposed to be heading. Towards our conclusion, right? Towards, towards approaching the throne of grace with confidence. It's in the book of Hebrews, right? And that book of Hebrews is written to Jews. It was written to Jews that, that wanted to go backwards in their religion. It was... They wanted to go backwards from following Christ back to the law, back to their own works, back to their own righteousness. In this book of Hebrews, it's all full of warnings in there. Just like Jesus gave warnings. And in just a few sentences, in fact, the sentence before before our text up here in, in, Hebrews, in Hebrews 4, there's some warnings. In verse, in verse 13, remember our verses in verse 14, it says this, it says, Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. 
right? Like Jesus, he was, he was with the disciples and he knew what they were thinking. He knew that Judas was going to betray him. Everything's laid bare before Jesus. He knows it all. And so what warnings can we have? If you're in the Pew Bibles, just quick, quick flip a page back. Look at Hebrews 3 and 4. There's some warnings in there, right? It says in here, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. So I declared an oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. If you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. I think that's what Judas did, isn't Don't you? He heard the voice of his Lord, but he hardened his heart. He still went ahead with his own program. There's some other warnings in here that I thought were quite profound. Flip a couple more pages over and just glance at Hebrews 12. Verse 16 and 17. It's talking about Esau. Esau was Jacob's brother. And if you remember, he sold his birthright for, for a meal. And then he wanted it back later. It says here in, there, in, in our Bibles, it says, See that no one is sexually immoral or godless like Esau, who for a single meal sold his inheritance rights as the oldest son. Afterwards, as you know, when he wanted to inherit this blessing, he was rejected, even though he sought the blessing with tears. He could not change what he had done. In my um, Christian Standard Version, it says that uh, he was rejected because he didn't find the opportunity to repent. Though he sought it with tears. I see Judas uh, right before he hangs himself full of that remorse and regret. But he never did take the opportunity to repent, did he? And then if you scroll down a little bit more, you'll see in verse 25, it says, See to it that you don't refuse him who speaks. If they didn't escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, how much less will we if we turn away from him who warns us from heaven? Jesus that speaks, and I think that Judas refused to listen to him. You know, I don't, I don't think it was necessarily just because Judas betrayed Christ that he ended up in hell. The disciples, they did many of the same things that Judas has done. We've done many of the same things that Judas has done. But Judas rejected Christ's word. Didn't he? He chose a path for himself, path away from Christ. And even in his grief, even in his remorse, like he's still choosing his own, to follow his own ways, to turn his back on Jesus. He didn't, he didn't repent when he heard the words. You know, think about what repentance is. It's, it's turning away from the course that we're on to God. It's hearing his voice and turning away from our sins and turning away from ourselves and turning to Jesus. 
So, why did Jesus need to be betrayed? I don't think I answered that yet. And why can we approach God's throne of grace with confidence because of that? Well, maybe, maybe instead of looking at, at the sin or the things that happened or looking at Judas or even at ourselves, right? Isn't that what Judas was doing anyways? Maybe, maybe we need to look at Jesus. Maybe our answer is there. Let's look at what he did. At the anointing, he knew what was in the disciples' hearts. And he gives them a word. He graciously gives them a word of correction, saying, come back to me. Get on my paths, not your paths. He knows what Judas is going to do, and he washes Judas' feet, and he eats with him. He says, I know one of you is going to betray me. And he even knows Judas is going to turn his back. In the garden, he gives him, he knows that Satan has entered him, and he gives him another word. He says, he calls him friend. And he gives him another opportunity out of his grace to just turn to him, turn away from the path that he's on. Of course, Judas didn't take that. That's not the end of Jesus' story. See, Jesus took all of that, didn't he? And he took it and he went to the cross. Think about betrayal. Think about relationship betrayal and taking that ultimate sin on the cross. He took all of our sins. He took the least to the greatest of our sins on the cross. This betrayal, this, this heavy, weighty sin he took for you. And what did he do on the cross? He asked the Father to forgive him, to forgive them. You see, I think that by taking on the worst of sins and forgiving them. The people that are the worst of sinners that may betray Christ can be forgiven. And that gives me some confidence to come before Christ knowing that I am amongst those who are the worst of sinners. I can approach Christ instead of turn to myself. I want to ask you, because it's never too late, right? I want to ask you, is there anyone here who thinks that they might have just crossed the line in sin? Maybe, maybe you've spent a great deal of time looking at your sins about how you made a mess of things. 
Judas looked at his sins for a while, and he was full of remorse too. He was full of misery. Maybe you spent a while looking at how you can fix those sins. Judas, he, uh, he tried throwing the money back and fixing things. Maybe you've spent a while working on your own agenda. But Christ is always giving a word right up until the end. If you hear his voice today, don't harden your hearts. I invite you to approach the throne of grace and find the mercy that is waiting for us in Christ Jesus. Can we pray? Can we pray together real quick? Heavenly Father, thank you so much for that grace. Thank you that you forgive the worst of things that were done to you. Thank you that you decided to bear that burden that we don't have to bear. I pray, Lord, that there, if there are some who are rejecting that, that they would see that. I pray this in the name of our Savior, our High Priest, who asks for forgiveness. In his name, Jesus Christ, amen.